Yo, 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 what's up? What is up? What is up? What is up? Happy Black History Month to everybody. What's really good? It's your boy, Willie Will. I'm back once again with another episode of the So What You Said podcast. I want to thank everybody for joining me. Those who are going to watch, those who are going to listen, those who are going to watch later or listen later, thank you for joining me. It's another beautiful week. Uh, it's cold. I will say that. It's cold in New York. Definitely. Definitely cold in New York. Uh, it's brick snizzling. Uh, as you can see, I am prepared for today. I am very excited about today. Today's show, uh, as I am excited about all shows, but I am extra excited today about today's show. So, what do we have on today's docket? So, first, on today's show, we will be talking about lesser-known people in black history that influenced black history. I mean, it, as you know... There are a lot of people that have influenced black history that don't get the same recognition that everybody else does, but they are there and they help influence what's going on in black history. Uh, second, we're going to review the 1995 film, black film, of course, of Bad Boys. It, it it's one of my it, it it is a good one of my favorite films. I do like uh, Bad Boys. I love it. It uh, I'll tell you my thoughts on it when we get to the review. Uh, I'll just say it changed the way people thought about black people and super action flicks. Let me tell you, say that. Then, of course, we will get this week's Get the Fuck Out of Here Award. And boy, 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 is a fucking doozy. It is a fucking doozy. I swear to God to you, no lie, it's a fucking doozy. And then we will finish the show off on a high note. As I have been previewing, as I previewed last week, my list for the 50 greatest hip-hop songs, or my 50 greatest hip-hop songs, um, this is my list. Again, I will run down the criteria for you guys as to how I chose these songs and, you know, why why they make my list. So, yes, we have a full show for you today. Definitely going to get into it. Uh, anything else that I may come across, we will try to get into it. But as always, you got to know where to find me got to know where to reach me. you got to know how to interact with the show. So, as of course, you know how to do that. In order to read, you can email me at sowitsayin5 at gmail.com. That's S-O-W-T-U-S-A-Y-I-N-5 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at so what you Saying. You can find us on Instagram at so what you Saying. You can find us on Twitch. Please, let's get our Twitch followers up so we can spread the word at So What You're Saying. 
And if all else fails, and you can't find me on any of those platforms, or any of those platforms, you know, you don't know how to get to them, you can hit on my link tree. So, what you saying? So, how is everybody doing today? I am doing great. Again, like I said, it is cold as hell in New York City. And it's going to be cold today. It's going to be cold tomorrow. It's going to be brick snizzling. Uh, we will. There will be no ifs, ands, or buts about that. It will be brick snizzling out in these streets. I want people to understand that if you do not believe in global warming, I would like you to go to Texas and tell these people that you don't believe in global warming. They had an ice storm. It is cold in Texas. When have you ever known it to be ice storming in Texas? In Texas. I mean, it's crazy. It's been crazy. Um, so, yeah, I'm in, in indoors, keeping warm. Uh, I am ready for Black History Month. I want people to understand something. I have my own feelings about Black History Month. Um, I will say this. I wish it wasn't in February. And not to be mean about it or say we don't deserve it, but we deserve more than with 28 days and 29 days in a leap year because of all the blood, sweat, and tears our ancestors put into the United States of America. But, again, I digress. That's another topic for another time. But, again, we're here. We're going to celebrate, as always. I want people to, you know, especially the young, younger people, look up your black history. Know which, where you come from. Know why and how things are the way they are. Understand in school they do teach Martin Luther King. In school they do teach uh, Rosa Parks, Coretta Scott King, you know, people of that nature. But go deeper into your history. Learn more about who you are and where you come from. Excuse me. I have no problems with people learning their history. That's part of who you are as a person. But learn, at least, especially for us as black people, learn your history. Because it's important. It's important because then you'll see how hard it was for us to get anything we got and how easy it is for some people to get what they got. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But this is, should be a joyous time. We should be happy. We should be excited. I'm excited today. No negative energy. There's one negative energy with the get the fuck out of here award. But that person deserves it 100% for what the fuck they did and all that other good shit. So, yes, this is going to be... Uh, a wonderful show. 
it's going to be beautiful for everybody. And I'm hoping people learn something when this show is over or when you listen or watch the show. So, how's everybody doing? Um, me, personally, uh, I end up going to have, I've had three days off. I work tomorrow, then I'll have another two days off, and then it's back to the grind for five days in a row. Which I don't mind. Like I tell people, it's not such a big deal for me. I like to work. I, I kind of like my job. Only thing is... I wish I could have a set schedule so I could have a set schedule for you guys and do my show. Next week is going to be a late show. Because I have to work five days in a row, Friday I'm not going to get going to be off of work until about 8.30 in the evening. I probably won't get here until about 9. So next week's show is probably going to be about 10 o'clock. But there will be a show on Friday next week. Like clockwork, I will not digress from this. I will continue to work diligently to continue to put out the content once a week like I've been doing, and I'm going to continue to, you know, try to educate and make this platform bigger than it is. So where do we start? Um, I plan, I decided I'm going to start here with the um with my my little black history lesson if that's what you want to call it hold on one second let me find it okay i believe that uh with black history month being this month i thought it would be prudent to you know Teach our youngsters about, you know, lesser-known people in black history. I could have chosen Martin Luther King. I could have chosen uh, Rosa Parks. Uh, I could have chosen an abundance of people. W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, Frederick Douglass. Um, But we get taught about these people on a regular basis, and there are people that are not as uh, celebrated or pronounced as others. And I figure, you know, the idea is let's, you know, teach people more about people that we don't usually hear about in black history and are just as important in black history as anybody else. I am calling up my slideshow, and we can get started with this. Okay, it's opening up. Let's close that. Okay, here we go. So, without further ado, 
Mm. Here is the person I chose. Mm. Okay, here we go. Hold on so, one sec. without further ado. Okay, here we go. So, without further ado, mm. here is the person I chose. Mm. Here is the person I chose. Okay, here we go. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Sorry about that, folks. I forgot that uh, I had uh, I forgot I had uh, you know, I have to keep an eye on the stream and I can keep an eye on it in my OBS, but then I won't be able to answer comments and all other stuff, so I have another screen pulled up with the stream playing actually someplace else uh, on, another plat on, the, on another platform, and it was feedbacking in. But we're here. I've got it. So, again, without further ado, here's the person I chose for our figure in black history this week. The person I chose is Robert Sangstack Abbott. Now, for those of you who don't know, we have our black magazines, Essence, Jet, Ebony. But he was the first black man to start a black-owned and black-run uh, newspaper or news outlet or anything of that nature, if you, that's what you want to call it. Uh, he laid the groundwork so that we can have Ebony and Jet and Essence, all these black magazines that we have today that we read today that, you know, give us all the information black-related. So... Robert Abbott. Robert Abbott was an American lawyer, newspaper publisher, and editor. Abbott founded the Chicago Defender in 1905, which grew to have the highest circulation of any black-owned newspaper. Now, I want people to understand, you're talking about 1905. We still had slavery segregation, all of these things that would hinder something like that. But this man had the highest circulation of any, any black-owned newspaper in the country. You're talking about the East Coast, the West Coast, down South, the Midwest, he had the highest, the highest. And so that is an accomplishment in itself, in itself. An early adherent of the Baha'i faith in the United States, Abbott founded the Bud oh, Bilker Parade and Picnic in August 1929. 
The parade, which has developed into a celebration for youth, education, and African-American life in Chicago, Illinois, is the second largest parade in the United States. Now, I want people to understand this. The second largest parade in the United States is in a war zone in Chicago. In Chicago, which is today a war zone or what some people would call a war zone with all the things going on over there. It is a war zone. And people, this is the second largest parade in the United States. The second largest. I just want people to think about that for a minute. A black man started this, and it's the second largest in the United States. There's no way. I, this is just a wonderful thing. A wonderful thing. A, a definitely wonderful thing. Abbott was born on December 24th, the day before Christmas, 1870 in St. Simons, Georgia, although some sources state Savannah, Georgia. Doesn't matter. He was born in Georgia. Whether it was St. Simons or Savannah, he was born in Georgia. To freedmen parents who had been enslaved before the American Civil War. The Sea Islands were a place of the Gullah people, an African descended, descended ethnic group who maintained African inherited cultural traits more strongly than many African Americans in the other areas of the South. So basically the people he, the, the, his, his parents kept more of their, their, African, their African roots. There was a group of people on this island, in this, on the Sea Islands, that kept more of their African roots than more Americanized African Americans. And I will say this. With us being descendants of African uh, African people on the island of Africa, I would like to see some of us, you know, inherit some of our heritage and the traits that we we do, we do every day, and the traits that we show our kids every day. Because some of those some of those traits are needed. Whether it be now, whether it be as they get older, they're needed. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with embracing where you come from. The whole idea as to why I'm doing this stream the way I'm doing it. There is no problem embracing your history and your heritage. And don't let the world ever, ever ever tell you any different. His father, Thomas Abbott, died when Robert was a baby, and his widowed mother, Flora Abbott, Nee Butler, her her surname, met and married John Segstacki, a mixed-race man of unusual background who had recently come to the U.S. from Germany. So the reason he adopted uh, the... 
he adopted another name to send uh, send stackle or send stack seg stack sing stack i believe that's how it's pronounced um mother got married so he adopted that as kind of a kind of like how we do today with women who want to keep their family name but adopt their husband's surname which again is one of those things i don't understand why people don't want to get married today but that's another topic for another time i I will digress with that but yes that is what that is how uh that is what's his early life so let's move on this is a picture of what the chicago defender looked like in what 19 uh 1905 if i'm not mistaken this is the this is uh, August 1919 on a Saturday. This is with the headline for the Chicago riots. Uh, this is the deed. It's it's crazy, but this is cool because you know some things we don't in our history we don't have any records of, but there's a record of this. So I thought that was pretty cool to put in the slideshow. And I thought, it, that, that, you know, it's a nice look to see what he built on his own. Abbott tried to set up law, a law practice working a few years in Gary, Indiana, and Topeka, Kansas. He returned home to Georgia for a period then went to Chicago where he could see changes arriving with thousands of new migrants from the rural south. So basically what he did was he went to two different states, tried to, you know, use his law degree. Uh, I guess it didn't work. He went home. He rethought his strategy and ended up going to Chicago where people from the south had started Moving from Chicago, from from the South, I'm assuming Georgia, the Carolinas, uh, Louisiana, places like that, where Jim Crow was about to come through. And again, racism was still prevalent, segregation and stuff. And they went up north to Chicago, where people were going from the South to the North, you know, to, to have a better life and started setting up shop. Especially black people, because we kind of run Chicago. Let's, let's, let's keep it a thousand. After settling in Chicago in 1905, Abbott founded the Chicago Defender newspaper with an initial investment of 25 cents, which is equivalent to $8 in 2021. Now, let me say this. If you could start a newspaper now for 25 cents or even $8, now you got it. You got it, because you can't do shit with that kind of money now. Because, I mean, the camera I had to purchase to, you know, get a better look, get a better feel, better aesthetic, that cost me about 500 The computers I needed to do what I'm doing were about 800 a piece. So, uh, yeah... Times have definitely changed from 1905 to 2023. 
Let's keep it a step. He started printing in his room at his boarding house. His landlady encouraged him, and he later brought her an eight-room house. So think about this. The lady that let, let him live where he was living encouraged what he was doing. Encouraged what he was doing. Stood behind him and let him handle his business. And he ended up buying her an eight-room house. This is why I tell people, always have the back of the people, your friends, your family, whoever they may be, have their support. Because believe you me, the people who support you, you don't forget them at all. I mean, the people who are supporting me now, helping me, pushing me, keep you know, giving me the, the drive to keep doing this every week, Oh, believe you me, I am not going to forget not one of them. Let's keep it a stat. We're not. He wanted to push for job opportunities and social justice, and he was eager to persuade blacks to leave the segregated Jim Crow South for Chicago. A key part of his distribution network was made up of African-American railroad porters who were highly respected amongst blacks. And by 1925, they organized a union as the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. So he found a way to distribute his paper. He found a, uh, he found a way, got it to people who were respected, and he had a network. He got a network, and they figured out how to get his papers out. They distributed them, I'm assuming, on these train cars amongst black folks, and it became a popular. They sold them on these train cars amongst black folks, and it ended up unionizing. Not a bad, not, not a bad deal. They often sold or distributed the papers on trains. Defender... Defender's circulation reached 50,000 by 1916, 125,000 by 1918, and more than nearly 20,000, 200,000, excuse me, by the early 1920s. Now, think of that. It took him three, what, two, he started, in, he started one, by 1916, he was getting up 50000 Great. Great. A couple years later, he more than doubled that and went to 125000 Then he four times, more than four times greater than his output in 1960 and made it two. 200,000. 200,000. Now, if I can get 200,000 followers for the So What You're Saying podcast, I'll be 
<laughs> I beat a man. But it took him time. And that's something that people, I need you to understand as to why I chose this man. This man had the work ethic and found a way to get everybody, to get the, the, the paper out, the news out, all that. I ended up with 200,000 people reading the strip, buying his newspaper in a four-year span, from 50 to 125 to 200,000. And this is what happens when you have the support. People need to understand that he had the work ethic, he got the support from people, and he took off. And that's what people need to understand about us as black people now. If you have the work ethic and you put in the work, you should help help them take off. That's why I support people always. I try to always support people in what they want to do. If I can't do it monetarily, I will do it in some way, shape, or form or fashion. Because just the support helps them become bigger. Just the support. They don't need much else, but the support helps them grow the network, grow their network. And when you grow your network and you move out to other people and, yay, support this, this is worth it, blah, 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 and you got the work ethic, you, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. So where was I? Here we go. Credited with contributing to the great migration of the rural South, blacks, rural South, Southern blacks to Chicago, the Defender became the most widely circulated black newspaper in the country. It was known as America's Black Newspaper. Its success resulted in Abbott becoming one of the first self-made millionaires of African-American descent. Hallelujah. You're talking about the 1920s, 1930s, when we, we were treated as crap, as black people. We were treated, we were racially profiled, racially biased. Well, hell, that's not kind of too different than what's going on today. Just a, just not as much as it, as it was back then and not as prevalent because we would try to hide it. But look at that. He put in the work and became one of the first self-made. He didn't have any white folks behind him. He became a self-made millionaire. And that's why I tell people all the time, you want to become a millionaire, you want to make all this money, you want to do all this, do become self-made. Don't let, I mean, don't let nobody stop you from what you want to do. Because in the end, what you want to do, your talent, your drive and will, your will and drive to do what you want to do will come out and be able to grow and reach the people you want to reach and do the things you want to do. So understand, this man became a self-made millionaire. 
It's not a, not impossible, especially now in 2023 with all the outlets we have to do the things we want to do. It's not impossible. Everybody, you know, put your nose to the grind and get it going because he did, and look what happened. His business expanded as African Americans moved to sit moved to the cities and became urbanized northern population. From the early 20th century through 1940, 1.5 million blacks moved to major cities in the Northeast and the Midwest. So here you go. This man gave him a blueprint, and people came up north and started becoming, started trying to not emulate, well, yeah, kind of emulate what he was doing because he got the opportunity, and look what happened to him. And then, like I said, Chicago now, predominantly black. New York, it's a mixed bag. I don't know if it's predominantly black or if it's a 50-50 split or if it's a whatever. But certain areas in New York, predominantly black. New York City at that. Brooklyn, the Bronx. And I want Hispanic people to understand, yes, you have your heritage, but you black. Because guess what? If them white folks decided to send us off this island, you going too. Ain't, 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 ain't no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You going right behind us. So people understand, hey, look, if you can affect change, hey, like this man did, I hope you have the will and drive to affect change, just like he did. In 1919, Illinois Governor Frank Loudon appointed Abbott to the Chicago Commission on Race Relations. The commission conducted studies about the changes resulting from the Great Migration. In one period, 5,000 5, African Americans were arriving in the city every week. The commission collected data to assess the population and published the book, The Negro in Chicago, through some of his stepfather's thing. Sing Stacks relatives in Germany. Through some of his ah, New York, Chicago. Through some of his stepfather Sing Stacks reg- relatives in Germany became Nazis in the 1930s and later. Abbott continues continued correspondence and economic aid to those who had accepted him and his father's family. He also assisted. Descendants of Captain Charles Stevens, the former owner of his enslaved birth father, before emancipation. With his wealth, Abbott aided the Stevens' descendants in Georgia during the Depression and paid for the education of their children. So even though these people were, were slave owners and things of that nature, he's... He, he didn't have the heart to turn them away. He helped these people and put their kids through college. Now, I don't know if I, if I could have the, the heart and mind to do that, but he did it. And I have to commend him for that. Commend him for that. Seriously. In 1940 in Chicago, oh, wait, wait, hold on. 
and pay for the education children. Abbott died of Bright's disease in 1940 in Chicago. He was buried in Lincoln Cemetery in Blue Island, Illinois. He left the newspaper in the control of his nephew, John Henry Sendstack. So, there you have it. Robert Abbott, the godfather of the the publications we have now. You're talking Ebony, Jet, all these publications. And here's the man. He's the he's the godfather of all that. You know, we wouldn't have these publications, the all these black publications, if if he wasn't if he didn't start the Chicago Defender. So there you have it. I hope I taught you guys something that you didn't already know. Um, this gentleman has made it so that we can have our own publications, put everything on paper, and be published. And the things that came out of it, Ebony Magazine, still popular today, even though most people don't read Ebony Magazine, Jet Magazine, uh, Essence. All of these came from this guy and the Chicago Defender. And we need to praise him for that. And we need to teach our kids, hey, read this man's story. See that he came from the racist South, went and became a millionaire by building his own. And that's why I tell people all the time, when we go through, when when I, I have friends, a lot of friends that are into music, into creating music, whether it's producing or anything of that nature. And I always tell them, build your own. Start your own label. Be independent. Because now you don't need the white folks anymore to make it. You can make it on your own if you have your own network, if you do your own thing. And I feel like now, more than ever, we can do whatever we want to now, more than ever. So there you have it. That was Robert Abbott. And, you know, he should be an important figure in black history. Even if he's not as known as as your as a Martin Luther King or Rosa Parks, he should be celebrated just the same way as these two should be. All right. So, let's move on. So, I know anybody's watching it, anybody is watching this. that is into movies, television, otherwise. You watched Martin on Fox. You watched Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on NBC. So in 1995, they decided to put together 
one of the funniest freaking comedians ever in Martin Lawrence and a guy who's becoming as big a star as they could as you could possibly build and Will Smith and they put them together and we got the 1995 movie Bad Boys. So for those of you just to give you a refresher on this movie I am going to play the trailer, and I'll be back after the trailer with my review and breakdown of the movie. So, that was the 1995 movie, Bad Boys. Now, I love this movie. I love this movie more than you can possibly imagine. I mean, it's one of those movies where it brings the rare combination of Action and comedy. Now, I've seen action comedies before, but nothing like what we got in this particular movie. It spawned pretty much a franchise. 
which, as you know, if anybody has been watching the news, excuse me, if anybody's been watching the news, that um, there will be a Bad Boys 4. Uh, I'm not sure when they're going to film it. I'm not sure when it's going to begin filming, but there was a post for Will Smith. He went to Martin's house. They tell him it's time. Bad Boys 4, it's coming. So, everybody, I'm looking forward to that. So, for Black History Month, I thought I would review movies, uh, black movies, and I did a poll and Bad Boys won. So, here today, we're going to review the original, the very first Bad Boys movie. Now, So, the movie stars, of course, Will Smith as uh, Mike Larry. Mike Larry, the playboy. He got all the penny draws through the whole movie. That man was getting the penny draw. So, yes, it stars Will Smith as Mike Larry. Taylor Leone. As Julie, and I will, you will know why she's a major player. If you haven't, if you've seen the movie, then you already know. But you see why she's a major player as I go through the review and breakdown of the movie. Martin Lawrence, who now looks like a Twinkie, a black Twinkie. Let's just keep it a thousand. <laughs> he looks like a black Twinkie in this picture. As Marcus Burnett, married, three kids. You know, living a life. Living a life. Living a dream. And Joe Pantoliano as the captain. I forget what his name is, but I will remember it as we get into the review and the breakdown of the review. Ooh. Wrong button. So, as you see, those are major players in the movie. So, before I get started, gotta take a swig of that. And let's get into the review for Bad Boys. All right. So, the movie opens up with, um, With, of course, the opening credit scene and everything like that. So our bad guys are now in the truck. They're driving along. Bad guy played by Takechi Kairo. His name is Fouchette. He's also in there with um, uh, Sabio Guerrero's Chet. Uh, wait, what is Oh, Emmanuel Zurib as Eddie Dominguez and a couple other guys that um that are amongst the bat the crew. Gentlemen come they're in a the truck, 
They're driving along. Gentleman says, hey, you know what your job is. He says, yeah, I'm a decoy. Fouchette says, yeah, you are. And it just turns around and pops him. Shoots him. And he flies out the truck onto the street. So he's on the street. And the guys are like, what the fuck are you doing? And he picks up the phone, picks up a cell phone. Now, this is the early days of cell phones when they would look like big-ass bricks. And he calls the police and says, hey, yeah, I just saw a cop get shot. And he tells them where at. And, of course, as you know, that kind of depicts real life. Because in New York, and I'm sure in other states, cop gets shot, it's on. The whole precinct going to empty out. The whole precinct going to empty out, and the cops going to be on them. Meanwhile, while the cops are... Now, chasing, getting this, uh, getting this cop killer, or going to get their fallen comrade, which was all a ruse to get them out of the station. They go, and they get up on the top of the police of uh, the Miami uh, Police Department's uh, building, the precinct, and they initiate. They break in, pretty much. They break in. They drug the guy who's supposed to be watching the evidence area. They do some some wild stuff that, yeah, you could do today, but uh, do you really want to do that and get yourself caught up in some shit? And they steal $100 million worth of heroin. And the scene of them taking the heroin, breaking into the um, breaking into the precinct, them going in and out, dropping the heroin in into the truck and breaking out, very exciting scene because it you could tell that whoever wrote this movie or directed that action scene, they did it and wrote it with precision. Because that was a precision heist. There's no way that wasn't a precision heist. That was definitely a precision heist. So, they drive away. And you get to the next scene with... Oh, wait, I even skipped the scene. Before the, the, the drug heist, let me go back. Mike and Marcus are in a Mike Lowry's Porsche. And he's arguing, and, and, and Marcus is saying, hey, he's got a fat, giant-ass burger with some French fries. And they're in the, they're in the car, and they're arguing. Mike drops some fries, 
and these guys are following them in another car. And Mike pulls over when he when uh Mark Marcus drops the fries and tell him get it, and they start arguing. Lady walks across the street, hot lady, hot white lady. Let me just say that. Not really feeling that, but that's here neither here nor there. Walks in front of the car. Of course, Mike Larry being the pen, being the penny rater that he is, he's watching it. And then two guys get out the car, get come up on the side of them, and try to steal Mike's uh, custom Porsche. They get out the car. They start arguing. It ends up Marcus throws. I'm assuming it's a soda or a milkshake. In this big giant ass guy's face, and he asks, and he always he asks Mike, "Why I always get the big motherfuckers?" <laughs> I remember that. So he throws the the shake in his face, and then Mike hits the other guy, gets him on the floor, and they make jokes with these guys, and then the movie starts, and then you go into the big high scene. So what happens? Mike goes, Mark, Marcus get you, you go to the next scene where after the heist, Marcus is laying in the bed with his wife, played by Teresa Randall. Beautiful black woman, beautiful black woman. Played by Teresa Randall. And, of course, any man who knows, you know, you get up in the morning, you know, you got that morning stuff going on with yourself. Are you trying to, you know, you're trying to work some things out. Before you get up to go to work. But of course, his wife is like, hey, I had three Burnettes running through the house. They have three kids. So, of course, Marcus gets up. He goes to the he goes to the table. He's eating breakfast. His kids are running amok. And of course, uh Mike comes over and you know, he's picking Marcus up for work. The phone rings. And it's Captain Howard. That's Joe Pettiniano's name, Captain Howard. Captain Howard calls Marcus's house. And he's screaming in the phone to Mike on the phone. Because, of course, he calls Marcus's house. Uh... Teresa Randall's character picks up the phone, and of course, Will Smith says, you're on the mic with Mike. And all you hear is Captain Howard, and Mike says, don't you mean get your ass down to the station, please, sir. And of course, he didn't mean that. He didn't mean that. He want their ass down at the station. So they go. They go to the station, and they go into the, the vault, the evidence vault, and they found out that the $100 million worth of heroin that Mike and Marcus made their career bust with Captain Howard had been stolen from the police vault. Of course, Internal Affairs comes and thinks it's an inside job, and the lady that plays the Internal Affairs officer it really has been trying to shut Captain Howard, Marcus, Mike, and that whole unit down for some time. 
And of course, Marcus and Mike make it about, yeah, I, yo, they should just get it over with and just fuck. And the way the scene plays out, you would think that there's some tension, some kind of ongoing, you know, ongoing something between Captain Howard and this lady here. But that, I digress. So, Mike and Marcus have been put on the case. They have backup from the, these other two detectives who they have a kind of Freddie, uh, a witty banter with, but they're not, you know, they're, they're supposed not supposed to, they're, they're, they're not really friends, but they're there when they need them. Uh, Detective Sanchez and Detective Ruiz. Those are the two guys that um, that are the detect that are the other detectives, and they Captain Howard tells them to back them up. Uh, the other lady, uh, the 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 the, IA, the Internal Affairs lady, her name is Captain Sinclair, and it's played by Mark Helgenberger, who most people will remember was on the original CSI. So, Captain Howard tells Marcus and Mike they're back on this case, and he, and Ruiz and, and his partner are there to back them up. But once they 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 uh, he sends the other two to do some investigating, but he does tell Mike and Marcus, "Don't be fooled. This could have been an inside job." And that's cool because the way it was set up, the way it was done with precision, and you would have thought that it might have been another cop that did it. Let's be honest. Let's be 100% honest. So, Mike, they first go to their first informant, a former drug chemist named JoJo, who is supposed to be reformed and is dealing with selling tires. Now, we all know by his character, his shady character, the way it is, that he is, you know, he still dibbles and dabbles, but not in the way you would think that he dibbles and dabbles. It's in a different way, like, you know, he puts people together and stuff like that. He's a middleman for the people that are doing the real business. So, JoJo tells him he doesn't know anything. Mike and Marcus drive to a gym. And so Mike meets one of, you know, his little ex-things, one of his little, you know, little girls that, you know, he gave them, that he gave him the dick. And let's keep it a stack. And, you know, she she in love with the bra. So he goes, he asks her, the, the young lady's name is Max. Um, and she says, yo, in your line of work, because Max works for a a big madam in Miami named uh, Lois Fields, I believe that's what her name is. So Mike asks, uh, Mike asks Max to, you know, in your line of work, there might be some people partying, hold on a little bit of drugs. You know, spend a little cash, throwing that money around. So 
Max agrees because, you know, she got a thing for Mike. So they drive away. And, of course, they're in, there's a scene in the, where they're in the car driving away, making jokes like a motherfucker. It's a scene that, that you saw at the end of the uh, trailer. They're in the car. Marcus is like, hey, the, 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 we got three days, drugs is gone, we ain't got no leads, blah, 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 we ain't got no job, we're going to lose our job, the whole unit, and everybody thinks that Mike is playing cop in the police precinct. <laughs> and Mike is like, oh, I come in every day, I do my work, I'm the first one in, last one to leave, and of course... Him and Marcus get into it. But that's like a brotherly banter. It's like when you get mad at your sibling, when they say some shit, and you tell your sibling, fuck you. Go fuck off and all that other stuff. And then, of course, it gets to the famous scene where at the end of, the, at the end of that particular scene where he's like, you know, I'm a bad, Mike says, uh, Marcus says, I'm a bad boy. And they start singing, bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? That, that comes becomes a running theme through the series. They all there's always one scene where they're gonna sing that. So then switches off. Uh, Max is with low. In the, in the next scene, Max is in um in the house with Lois Fields. Lois says there's a guy that's been calling her every two hours. It's $2,000, and she says, you know, it's going to be easy to racks. She's like, something with her friend Julie, who is played by Taylor Leone, and, she, you know, Lois Field says, hey, bring her along. So they go to meet Eddie Dominguez in the Al Capone suite at the Biltmore Hotel, Right? So they go meet him at the Biltmore. They start having a party. Taylor only decides she wants to go to the bathroom. She needs to go to the bathroom. Who walks in but bad guy Fouché, the man, the man. Um, so Fouché comes, walks in, and says, you're having a little party, huh? yeah. Dominguez says, I need to blow off some steam after the job. So what happens is he sees Max, tells Max, hey, you look wonderful in the dress. Model it for me. And, of course, there you go. Pop, pop. Max is dead, falls through a glass table. Shoots Eddie in, in the kneecap. Eddie's saying, hey, I brought you my family. I brought you in. I got you connected. Fouchette says, my family now kills Eddie Dominguez. All the while, Julie's upstairs watching this. They see Julie, a a chase ensues. Now, one running theme through this whole fucking movie is that none of these motherfuckers can shoot. None of these niggas can shoot. Like, you're shooting up top, and I know there's things impeding bullets and all that, 
But you ain't, she not running that fast. The movie makes it look like she's, you know, hauling ass, although she is hauling ass. But the maybe the movie makes it looks like she's hauling ass. And you telling me you couldn't shoot her? She has shoes, all that. She gets up to the roof. She jumps. That the, there's, on, there's only one way she can do it. Either she get popped or she jumps. Jumps out the jumps into the pool. Boom. She survives. She makes it. She out. The, the bad guy, Fouchette, of course, he's mad. Find her. Need to kill her. Blah, 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 blah. So, next scene you go, you see Mike and Marcus come to the Biltmore after the shootout. They, uh, they both ID Eddie Dominguez. Eddie Dominguez was a former cop, was an ex-cop. And, um, you know, he goes in and Marcus first looks at the dead body. They see Dominguez is dead. So they really don't, they don't care about that. But then Marcus goes and he goes and he looks at the, the other dead body in the room and realizes that he pulls the cover over and it's Max. And he knows Mike is going to be very distraught because he did have feelings for her. But, he, you know, he couldn't be with her because he still was being a playboy. He still was, you know, he still wanted a bunch of penny draws from all over the place. So... What happens is Mike goes, and they go outside. Marcus tries to console him. Mike's not trying to feel it. M- Mike is, is, you could see he's visibly distraught about the whole thing. And he decides he's going to go check the madam, Lois Fields. So he goes, he goes to Lois Fields, he goes to Lois Fields' house, realizes that Somebody that broke in and finds Lois Fields dead. One of Fouchette's bad guys, Noah, who also come up later in the movie, was in there, killed Lois, and knocks Mike the fuck out. And breaks out because the, he the police coming. Mike ends up with a concussion and all that. Break to the next scene. Marcus is in the police precinct trying to get the file on Eddie Dominguez on one phone, and on the other phone, he has his wife on the phone. So he's telling the guy, hey, I need a file on Eddie Dominguez, and his wife is telling him, hey, we need to spend quality time. I got the red one on with the snaps, you know, trying to get him to come home. You know, and knock and knock the Sonic coins out of her. That's the Sonic rings out of her. He's trying to get the file. They're telling him the file is locked. He's telling the guy, screw you, clack. His wife thinks he's talking to him. He, uh, he's talking to her. Clack. She hangs up on she bangs in on him. He has to hang up the phone. 
So Captain Howard comes into and looks like where's where's Mike? And he says, uh, he went to go follow up the lead with Lois Fields. And of course, Captain Howard says, the Hollywood madam. So he knows something ain't no good. So the phone rings. Captain Howard picks up the phone. And this is where the shit gets funny. Picks up the phone and says Mike's loud, Mike Lowry's desk. And it's Julie on the other end talking about, can I speak to Mike Lowry? And the captain says, Mike's not here. Um, you know, but you can talk to me. I'm Captain Howard, his boss. And she's like, I won't talk to you. I can get me Mike Lowry. And the, 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 the young Julie says, uh, I'll sure only deal with Mike Lowry. And, of course, the captain is making, making jokes. This is not one of those fraternity things. And all that, and she's like, no, this is a murder thing. And, of course, Captain Howard perks up after that. You're talking about the murder at the Biltmore Hotel? And she's like, yo, if you don't get me, Mike, I'm skipping town. So, of course, Captain Howard fakes it. I'm getting you Mike, Mike, Mike. Oh, there he is. He's coming out the bathroom. He puts the phone on hold or close to his chest and uh, tells Marcus, yo, you got to pretend to be Mike. Because this is the witness that we need to put this all together, and Mike's not here. So Mike goes, so Marcus goes and like, this is where shit gets funny. Hands on the phone, and he says, this is Mike Lowry. And we all know Will Smith don't talk nothing like that. Nothing like that. And he says, no, this is Mike Larry. So Julie talks to him, blah, 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 gives her address. Marcus hangs up and is like, I, I got the witness to trust me. You know, get Mike down here. And Captain Howard is like, no, no, you got to go get it. You got to go get her. You got to go get her. And Marcus is like, look, I like, I can't be no Mike. But you can't because, A, he's not as tall as Mike. And, B, he don't look nothing like Wilson. And let's keep it a stat. So he goes, and Captain Howard Brown says, look, you better go get her. You won't see your wife for a month. So, of course, Marcus getting up and going. Marcus not even, you know, he's not even at home getting getting no loving from his wife because he's working hard. So there goes that. So he goes to the apartment, knocks on the door, and, of course, he does it again. Julie says, who is it? He says, it's me, Mike Lowry. He asks her to put the... She asks him to put his badge to the to the people. He does. She walks in, and Julie thinks this is Game Seven of the World Series because she starts swinging that bat. She's like, "You're not Mike Lowry." Boom, 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 boom. He, Mike, Marcus dis- disarms her, but says, "Hey, you either gonna talk to me or not?" But guess what? 
they probably got your address. So you might want to be a foul. You might, you, you, I'm the only one protecting you, saving you from a bullet in your ass. Basically, that's what he's telling her. And they got your address. So, hey, and so Julie breaks down and tells, tells Marcus that, um, no, I saw them kill Max. That's my best friend. Blah, 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 blah. I know who did it. And so Mike is like, uh, Marcus is like, all right, cool, but we got to get out of here. Of course, the bad guys bust through the door, or not bust, they shoot. The nigga had a shotgun and blew a hole in the door. Had a shotgun and blew a hole in the door. And blew the hole in the door and said, yeah. And now they're running out. They're running. They're running out. And, you know, they get out. They're shooting up South Beach because I'm assuming that's where this movie has been was filmed in South Beach. They're blowing up South Beach. They're shooting up or shooting up South Beach. They escape. They get in Marcus's car, which is like a family station wagon. And Marcus has to play it like, look, I'm undercover. And he's like, they probably got to look at my plate. So he probably has to get rid of the car. And then, um, you know, they're talking. He's like, yo, Julie is like, look, I'm not going. He's like, yo, we, I got to look. He's, Marcus says, I got to get you to look at some pictures, see if you can ID the shooters. We're going to do that in protective custody. Julie tells him, hell no. I'm only dealing with you. My, uh, Marcus says, okay, so where would you like to do it? Says at your house. Now he's playing Mike Larry. So he goes to Mike's house. He bribes the uh, bellman, lets him in. Julie said he said he tells Julie he has to go back to the station. Blah 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 blah. He tells the bellman, just watch over him. Make sure no nothing happens. If anything goes wrong, you know, call me. But as soon as Mike comes, call me first. So he goes, he goes back to the station. And the next scene we get is Mike, uh, Mike getting out of a car. Next thing we see is Mike getting out, out of the police car. And he's got an ice pack on his head. And he's like, yo. And, of course, Marcus says, who done hauled off and whooped your ass? I'd like to meet the man and give him a handshake, blah, blah, blah. They go into the police precinct. And into the, the police gym where Captain Howard is shooting. Now, this nigga can't shoot. Can't play no ball. Captain Howard cannot play no ball. If you've seen what, how he was shooting, and I'm pretty sure if you've seen the movie, you see, saw how he was shooting. He can't play no ball. That nigga can't play a stitch of ball. He needs to stay up off the court. Let's keep it a stat. So he does that. And... They go in, and Captain Howard says, look, I always take something for you, do something for me. They've got to impersonate each other. Marcus is going to go stay at Mike's house with Julie. Mike goes, stays at Marcus' house under the guise that Mike has to go, I mean, the, under the guise that Marcus has to go to Cleveland for a federal subpoena. 
So, of course, they're doing what they're doing. They're trying to keep it up in front of Julie. Uh, Mike goes to Mark. Uh, Mark. Mike goes to Mark. Uh, Mike goes to his house, and he talks to Julie. Blah blah blah. There's this funny scene where a girl named Yvette comes, half naked, and Marcus has to put her out. But Mike is like, "What? Yvette came. She's a masseuse. She massages your shit." Well, we all know as men what that means when it said a woman is massaging your shit. All right? So they leave out. So she looks through some mugshots. Um, she's looking through some mugshots, and she identifies Noah, Noah Tropicante who is one of the guys, who's the guy that killed Lois Fields and was one of the guys at the Biltmore when um, they killed her friend Max. So they go. So they realize, so, so, so of course, Marcus and Mike look up where he works at. And he works at a club called Club Hell. Now, let's start by saying this. This club, whew, It ain't a strip club, but it might as well have been a strip club. But the music wasn't wasn't um, worth the stripping. So they go. Julie looks at Noah and gets the bright idea to take one of uh, Mike's guns, put it in her purse, get in the cab, and go to Club Hell. So they go to so so they're in Club Hell and decide to separate to see if they can locate Noah. All the while up top in, I guess, the office or the VIP, they identify Mike and Marcus downstairs and set a trap for them. So Marcus goes in the bathroom, and he's using the bathroom, and he gets attacked by two of the henchmen, who he whooped their ass, and one of the guys happens to get a hold of Marcus's gun, tries to shoot him, it clicks, Marcus punches him, takes his head, smashes it into the into two urinals, and tells him, you forgot, you forgot the safety was on, motherfucker. And he walks out, of course, Mark, Mike is like, who done hold up and whoop your ass? And Marcus is like, nah, I ain't with it, I ain't with it. So then, you switch, you see Julie, and he's like, oh, first Marcus says, they made us. Let's get Noah and get the fuck up out of here. Julie walks up in there, and they identify her, but she pulls out the giznet and is aiming it at Fouchette, who's looking at her like, yeah, I dare you. You ain't got the fucking balls to do it. And Mike sees her and stops her from shooting Fouchette. They escape in a fucking truck that they, <laughs> that Marcus says, oh, I didn't know I told you to get the ice cream truck, but not realizing it was a truck full of ether. Now, this was the guy's truck. They were taking the ether to the chemist so they could continue cutting 
the drugs. So they go, and um, they they escape on the truck. Marcus actually accidentally turns down the street that's closed off. I guess there was a bridge over there or something that they're doing construction on. So they're running out of road. So Mike gets the bright idea to throw out the barrels of Easter, ether, and he shoots him. He catches the car that Noah's in, two barrels of ether that hadn't been blown up, roll next to the car, the car blows up, Noah's dead. And, of course, Marcus says, should I add this to your body count? Since early in the movie they were talking about body counts. So what happens is they kill him, they get away, but what ends up happening is there's a helicopter that's filming them. And they move on. So what happens is Julie comes in. Julie's trying to, you know, trying to get uh, Marcus to give her some of the, you know, trying to, try to sling some big dick to her. And, of course, Marcus being married, he ain't with it. But Mike is at the house with Marcus's wife, and they're talk. They're they're looking over some pictures. So what happens is, Mark, um, Mike calls in his partners is like, "Yo, there's some guys out there watching us. They probably part of the clique that's trying to, you know, kill Julie. Go get them." So the two. Uh, Ruiz, it, it, the Ruiz and his partner, the hell is it was, uh, Sanchez and Ruiz go and pick up the two guys. But Mike, my Marcus comes in Mike's car, handcuffs Julie to the steering wheel, climbs up to the roof. Him and Mike get into it because Mike thinks he's somebody, you know, he's an intruder, and they start arguing. And Mike tells Marcus, look, I, we've been friends for forever. I would never stick the dick to your wife, basically. All right, no problem. So finally, they, they, they were inter- uh, Ruiz and Sanchez are interrogating the guy that they picked up. They're interrogating him, and he's talking about, oh, this is the first job I had. I only know the guy's name. I don't know him by Fouchette. So they do that, and then they go and meet JoJo. And JoJo tells them, hey, look, you're going to tell me, uh, or Marcus and Mike pull pull off a, a, a good good guy, bad guy cop scene where, he's, where Marcus, well, where Mike, pulls out two guns, pulls it on JoJo, and says, look, if you don't tell me, I'm going to splatter your brains all over here. And Marcus is like, yo, you can't get any information from a dead witness. So they they play it up. It's a big, funny scene. JoJo gives him the information of the chemist who, early in the movie, told Fouchette, hey, it's too moist down here. for We're cutting. It's taking longer us to cut the heroin. But, of course, Fouchette is like, four days. 
So they go and they um they go and they uh, do a stakeout at the uh, the chemist's house and follow the chemist to the barge where the drugs are being cut. They fought, they spot Fouchette. And in turn, Fouchette spots them. So they both know what's going on. So they go back to Mike's house. And there cuts to a scene where the report where Mike and Marcus and Julie got filmed that night when they blew up Noah, Marcus's wife sees it. She goes to she goes to Mike's house. She opens. Uh, she goes to the door. She rings the doorbell and knocks on the door. Julie answers the door. I'm looking for my husband. The tall one and the short one. The short one. She's like, I figured. She goes. Blah blah blah. And soon everything goes off. Julie steps out and says, hey, look, if Marcus's wife can find us, so can anybody. I'm better off on my own. Not knowing as soon as she stepped off that damn elevator, Marcus was following behind in the next elevator with his wife. As soon as she stepped off that elevator, who was out there? Fouchette and his henchmen. And a shootout ensues. Of course, Marcus' wife, Gives him the gun. She gives him a. She he gives her a gun and says, "Go upstairs," and it's on. Then a chase ensues. Now, the director of this movie is Michael Bay, and he he has a way with filming things where they look more exciting than they really are. And there are a couple of scenes during this chase where they. Both are running and looks like they're running. They're running at regular speed. They're running in slow motion. The shirts is open, especially Will Smith. He's showing his chest. It's Miami. It's hot. You know, it it's a it's a cool scene. It's a cool chase. It was filmed well, and of course, Michael Bay's affinity for shooting and blowing up stuff, i.e., Transformers. It paid off in droves right there. They kidnapped Fouchette kidnaps Julie and takes her away and they go back to the precinct. They go back to the precinct. A phone call comes through. It's Fouchette saying uh, I will make my deal in four hours. I put a bullet in the chemist. The next bullet's for the girl and Mike throws the phone. So they go in to talk to Captain Howard, and Captain Sinclair from IA comes in and says, I've finally got the authority to shut you down. And Captain Howard, of course, says, look, we're not giving up on this. This is ours. We're right there. We know. We got everything. This is ours. We're going to get them. So they go, and they get uh, John Sally's character. Forget his name. I think his name is Sully or something like that or Tully, and he's a, supposed to be playing a computer genius. He goes, he sits in front of the computer. Now, earlier in the movie, nobody could get into Eddie Dominguez's file because it was locked out. 
Of course, Sully does his thing, computer genius, and they find out, they open the file to find out that Eddie had Fletcher. That's what John Sally's name is. Sorry about that. So Eddie's girlfriend, which was listed in his file, was Francine. Francine, played by Anna Thompson, is a secretary that works at the Miami PD. So they take her in the back, and they both, they say, that Francine tells them, look, there was a night, New Year's Eve, they took some incriminating pictures of me, or not incriminating, but horrible pictures of her, and if they didn't help, if she didn't help them, they were going to post these pictures at her kid's school. So I understand why she did it. But she did promise that she never gave them Mike and Marcus, which I believe because had she, had she did that, they Mike and Marcus might have been dead a long time ago. So she says, Francine, listen, how do you get in touch with them? They said, hey, look, I have their private cell phone. So the cops, so they, they do cop shit. As you, as you switch to a scene of Fouchette and all these guys driving in an airfield to go meet, to go do the deal so he could sell his, his heroin and cut it, his cut heroin to this Colombian drug lord. So what happens is they call and they use, of course, M- and Miami PD's tracking system because that, of course, Mike says, hello, could I speak to Romeo? And, and, of course, the guy says, ain't no Romeo here, asshole. But it was long enough for them to catch the phone signal and track them to this airfield. Before they turn and go to the airfield, Mike, Marcus, Mike and Marcus go to Ruiz and Sanchez and say, hey, li- look, listen, we got something for you, and the shit could get you killed. And they all broke out. They drive to the airfield and realize that that shit is heavily fortified where they're at. The Columbia drug lord has a car, $20 million in cash, and is already wired $180 million to Fouchette. Okay, so Mike gets this bright idea to drive a garbage truck into the hangar. They do it, and a firefight ensues. Marcus gets shot. Mike gets shot. They do their thing. Marcus uh, shoots the one guy while he's in the plane trying to escape with the 20 million in cash and says, you forgot your boarding pass and blows up a bunch of canisters of ether and blows him out of this, out of the airplane. This guy's on fire. You see his body go, ah, into some things. So he's dead. Uh, Before the firefight really gets going, 
Fouchette kills the Colombian drug lord. Um, Mike kills the big fat guy with a shotgun and says, hey, what's up? And pops him in the chest, and he gets electrocuted. So that insult injury, not only did he get shot, he got electrocuted. So the firefight ensues. Ruiz and, and Sanchez, everybody's in this firefight. Fouchette is trying to leave in the car. Mike jumps on top of the car. Fouchette shoots him in the, in, in, in the shoulder. Marcus going to have picked up Mike's car. They pick up Mike. And, of course, Mike says, how could you leave me in the firefight to go get a car? But it turns out that was a smart decision because he needed that car to catch Fouchette. So they're driving down the runway. And Mike says, yo, this car is faster. It's either him or us. Marcus is, you got the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you. He's like, yo, you kidnapped Julie. You shot at my wife. You shot me in the leg. Or, I'm beat, or we beating him down. So the whole idea is they're driving down the runway. There's this one area for one car, car to fit in because Marcus done caught up driving um, Mike's car. Mike and Marcus and, and Julie make it through this car, make it through this hole. Fouchette crashes. They stop, get out of Mike's car. But before that, Mike says, now that's how you drive. From now on, that's how you drive. They get out the car. Fouchette gets out his car with his gun. And Mike says, freeze, and then shoots him like a marksman right in the kneecap. They walk up to Fouchette. Uh, Marcus says, hey, Fouchette, I bet you never thought by 5 o'clock you'd have a hole in your leg. And, of course, Marcus, uh, Mike, uh, Marcus says that, and Mike is, Mike wants to sh kill him, get him back for killing Max. But Marcus talks him out of it, talks him down off a ledge. It's like it's, he's not even worth it. But Fouchette has one more trick up his sleeve. He pulls out a little baby gun, and Mike unloads on him. Fouchette is dead. Drugs recovered. Or blown up, one or the other. And um, so everybody's going to get patched up. Um, the last scene is Mike and Marcus talking about they love each other and getting patched up. Julie says, uh, and Julie says, what does that make me? Mike and Marcus says, you're danger, but you damn. The, the movie ends with Marcus handcuffing Mike to Julie and says, Julie, you wanted Mike Lowry? Well, here's Mike Lowry. I'm going home to my wife. And he walks out, and Mike is trying to get the handcuffs off, and nobody has any cuffs. And Mar Marcus is sitting there talking to himself, trying to see how he's going to talk to his wife. And the movie ends while Bad Boys is playing. And that's my breakdown of the movie. As far as the movie is concerned, I, I love this movie, like I said. it's It balances between funny and action. 
when it came out in the box office, $141 million on a $19 million budget. Uh, again, directed by Michael Bay, produced by Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. And on a double toasted scale, which is better than sex, full price, matinee, rental, some old bullshit, or a fuck you, this is definitely a full price. Full price. It's a very good, it's a great movie. It's funny, it has action, it tells a story. Anybody don't think there's a story to this movie, you're fucking stupid. This movie was great. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And that's how I felt. Feel about this movie. All right. That was my breakdown and review of Bad Boys 1995. Hope you enjoyed that. So before I get to my list, which we will finish the show with, you know, every week, I got to give this out. Every week, somebody is getting this. Every week, somebody is getting that. Every week. And sometimes, some people get it more than once. This week's goes to this man, Jason Whitlock. Now, for those of you though, for those of you who do not know who this man is, he used to work at ESPN. He used to work at Fox. He was a sports reporter, um, and he's an extremely, extremely right political man. Everything about this man screams he wants to be a fucking cracker. Straight like that. His name is Jason Whitlock. Now, if you haven't seen it yet, Jason Whitlock made some statements about the Tyree Nichols murder that I want you guys to see as to why he's getting this award. Now, granted, people can have their feelings about this tragedy. But there's certain places you don't go. Certain places you just leave alone. And he refuses. He goes to these places and makes asinine statements. Asinine statements. So I'm going to play for you the clip as to why he's getting to get the fuck up out of here, Ward, or get the fuck out of here, Ward. But after this clip, I want there was somebody that made a comment under his post, under under the video. And I want you, and it sums up a lot of why this stupid-ass Negro or black person is getting this award. So first, I'm going to play the clip for you. There you go. Uh, everyone's uh, behaving inappropriately, including these five Memphis police officers. This is a, it's an open and shut case. The, the, the camera from above captures the police 
uh, doing something totally illegal. The second-degree murder charges are warranted. This is going to be a revisitation of the Walter Scott, the, the guy that got shot on camera by a cop in the back. Guy went to, he got convicted, went to prison. It's an open and shut case. This is, too. I don't get what people are protesting about. Uh, these are five black officers. The victim is black. The police chief is black. The police have been fired and charged, and they will be convicted, I would assume, by a predominantly black jury in a city that's 65 percent black. So the system is going to work here. What The other system that's working is the corporate media's uh, insistence on promoting racial division at the behest, in my view, of the military-industrial complex. They want us all looking at this and not looking at what they're doing in Ukraine as they drag America and the world into World War III. This is a distraction, in my opinion. CNN hyped this video like they were hyping the Super Bowl. And there's really only 60 seconds of relevant content. You show the police misconduct from overhead as they brutalize this man and make it clear this is an open and shut case and the guys are going to be convicted and we move on. They treated this like a Super Bowl, enraging people, promoting the violence, and this is the most important story in the history of the planet. It's not. What's going on in Ukraine and our military involvement in Ukraine, that's the most important story going on in the world, but yes, they don't want you focused on that. That is such a good point, and you would, I mean, you've been in the news business all your life, you know, 35 years or something. I felt guilty putting that video on the screen, not because I was on anyone's side. I felt, I felt obviously bad about it. It was horrible. But because you don't want to put ugly things on TV and inflame passions. You want people to be reasonable and think things through and reach wise decisions. Why would news organizations, I mean, they really want to make people enraged, clearly. They don't want us focused on reality. Hey, if they want us to devote an hour of coverage to this and weekend coverage of this, and they want to take us to a good place, I would examine the racial element of this, because there is a racial element. And this is a story about young black men and their inability to treat each other in a humane way. Everybody involved in this on the street level was either 24 to 32 years old. Everybody. It was a group of young black men, five on one. It looked like gang violence to me. It, it looked like what young black men do when they're supervised by a single black woman. And that's what they got going on in the Memphis Police Department. They've elected. Now, I want people to listen, listen to what he said. I'm going to run it back, and I want you to understand this. why wow, this is disgusting. By a single black woman. And that's what they got. Group of young black men, five on one. It looked like gang violence to me. It, it looked like what young black men do when they're supervised by a single black woman. And that's what they. Now, I heard, I, I, if you didn't hear what he said, what you should have. He said, this looks like what happens when a young black man is supervised by a single black woman. Okay? Now, this is what, hold on one sec, let me find the thing. This is what somebody posted under that video. 
five days ago. It reads, this, is, this isn't about families and this isn't about race. This is about five officers who swore to uphold the law, abusing the authority of their badges and causing a young man's death when he clearly was no longer a threat to them. So I don't know what the what baby mama culture has to do with this. We don't know whether or not those officers were even raised by single mothers. And the Memphis PD is actually uh, the Memphis police. The Memphis police chief is actually married. So to say that is pretty ignorant to me. Those officers are grown men who know and knew right from wrong. Their chief is not their mother. Now, did you hear that? Did you see that? Jason Whitlock turned this from a murder, from, from what is essentially a murder, to, oh, it's the fault of single black women raising black men. What the fuck does single black women raising a single black man have the fuck to do with the price of tea in China? Nothing. What Jason Whitlock said is ignorant. Ignorant as fucking hell. Let me tell you something. I was raised by a single black mother. And even though me and my mother have our issues and difficulties, I'm not out there whooping nobody ass. I'm not in jail. And I'm not doing anything illegal. My problem with this is Jason Whitlock. You are making a stupid-ass correlation. A stupid correlation. Because the person that wrote that comment under, under his video is absolutely right. The Memphis police chief is their chief, not their fucking mother. Not their mother. Understand something. If you can't, if you can't, you know right from wrong. They knew right from wrong. So basically, what they did makes no fucking sense at all. I'm sorry, but Jason Whitlock, you is a dumb, about, about a dumb motherfucker. Because at the end of the day, this had nothing to do with single black women raising a single black man at fucking all. This had to do with five cops abusing their fucking authority and causing the man, Tyree Nichols, Rest in peace to die. Plain and simple. You're right. They've been fired. They've been charged with murder. But for you to make the correlation 
of them and baby mother syndrome or being raised by a single black woman, you's about as dumb as fucking hell. Just about as dumb as hell. And you deserve this more than anything. Jason Whitlock, you need to get the fuck up out of here. Get the fuck out of here. I mean, really? Hold, hold up. One more time. You know what? You that shit just irked me so much. I gotta give it to you. And that's just ah, that's just the stupidest shit ever. And I'm sorry that 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 irked my nerves really bad. All right, so this has been fun. It's definitely been fun. You know, I've been. I'm. I I I gave, I I I gave some history. I gave a black history lesson. We reviewed a black movie. Uh, I gave the get the fuck up out of here, get the fuck out of here award to a dumb, ignorant black man. And now we're about to finish the show off on a happy and positive note. As you know, I've been preaching. My 50 greatest songs in hip-hop list. I've been previewing this. I previewed this last week. I said we was going to do it. So guess what? Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you my 50 greatest songs in hip-hop history. So first, before I get to the list, let me tell you my criteria. These are my 50 greatest songs. Not the world's 50 greatest songs, not everybody's 50 greatest songs, not the person next door to me, not the person around the corner from me, my 50 greatest songs. And let me tell you what my criteria is. These songs are songs that have informed me and I love with all my heart. I listen to them. I may not listen to them every day, but they're on a playlist in my title somewhere. Shout out the title. Shout out the title. Let me just give it a quick shout out the title. These things are in my playlist. They're songs I love dearly. They're songs that didn't make the list that at the end, I will, the week before I present the last 10 of them, I will give another Another honor, uh, I'm going to give 10 honorable mentions the week before to 10 songs that didn't make the list that I love just as much, but just were beat out by other songs. All right, so let me load up the music right quick. Make sure I get title up here. Hold up. Oh, that's why. All right. All right. So now we're ready. So the first song 
the first segment is going to be 10 songs. And this is called In the Beginning. Now, the reason I named this this, per, this first segment In the Beginning is because these songs that are on this list are songs from the seven, I think, 73 to to 89, before the 90s, uh, before we got to the golden era of hip-hop, the real golden era of hip-hop. Um, these songs are songs that people should know. They're songs that I really wanted to make the list, but didn't make the list for one way or the other. So the first part of the list, the first 10 songs of the list are called In the Beginning. So the very first song that's on the list is Big Daddy Kane, Ain't No Half-Stepping. This song is produced by Marley Maul. You could tell his production all through this song. This song greatly shows Big Daddy Kane's lyrical ability and dexterity. The man has skills. And anybody doesn't put him in a list with some of the greatest rappers of all time, I, I, I don't know what you listen to. Um, this song, I love it for, it's again, it's lyrical dexterity. And Kane goes hard. He goes super hard. So, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Ain't No Half stepping. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, yeah. I'm with this. I'm just gonna sit here laid back to this nice mellow beat, you know? And drop some smooth lyrics. Cause 88. Time to set it straight, you know what I'm saying? And ain't no half stepping. Word. I'm ready. Rapper stepping to me. They wanna get some, but I'm the cane, so yo, you know the outcome. Another victory, they can't get with me. So pick a BC date, cause you're a history. I'm the authentic poet to get lyrical. For you to beat me, it's gonna take a miracle. And step into me, yo, that's a wrong move. So what you on, Hobbs? Dope a dog food. Competition, I just devour. Like a pit bull against a chihuahua. Cause when it comes to being dope, hot damn, I got it good. Now let me tell you who I am. The B I G D A double D Y K A N E. Dramatic, Asiatic, not like many. I'm different. So don't compare me to another. Cause they can't hang. Word to the mother. At least not with the principal in this pedigree. So when I roll on your rappers, you better be ready. To die because you're petty. You're just a butter knife. I'm a machete. This made my Genshu. Wait until when you try to front so I can chop into your body. Just because you try to be basic. Friday the 13th, I'ma play Jason. No type of joke, that game, puzzle, or riddle. The name is Big Daddy, yes, big, not little, so define it. Here's your walking papers, sign it, and take a walk. As the Kane start to talk, cuz. Now, look at that. This was before they really had song structure and all that. He went. His name. Him. Him on the song. Like, there's no, you know, if, ands, or buts about it. He went ham. And 
the lyrical, even the part where he, he spells his name. He said the B-I-G-D-A-D-D-Y-K-A-N-E. I'm good and plenty, serving many in any. What? Come on. His rhyme scheme in this song, crazy. Crazy. Deranged. God, I mean, just crazy. So that's why this particular song made the list. Marley Mars production, Big Daddy Kane's lyrics, all together. Just made this song spectacular. Okay, moving on to the next song. So, most people already know what this is. This is a classic. Now, I never thought Dougie Fresh was one of the best rappers in the world. He had skill. He had will. But him and Slick Rick together... Money in the bank. And they and they they did it twice. Twice. Two hits. Not one. Two. And then ended up having more hits t- separately. My thing is, yo, the show, crazy. Crazy. One of the most classic songs ever created. If this is not on somebody's list, I got a problem with that. Don't get me wrong. I know these songs are older, and a lot of people haven't heard them in their finality, but this song got to be on your list. Got to be on your list. Gotcha. I, I, I kind of just don't know what's going on if it's not on your list. So here we are with the next song on my list, The Show. So there you go. Only a clip of that because this song is like six minutes long. It's crazy. It's crazy. But I'm not worried about it. But that song, crazy. Crazy bananas. The beatboxing, the rhyme scheme. Even the beat was, it just was perfect meld. Perfect meld. Perfect. Perfect meld. Produced by Dennis Bell, Ali Cotton, Dougie Fresh himself, and somebody who else, somebody else who end up on the list, Teddy Riley. One of my favorite producers ever. So yes, this song, the show, it just it, it, if you can't get into that, I, I'm not sure what else to do because that song, classic. So moving on, what list would you have 
if you didn't have some of the pioneers. And these are two of the biggest pioneers. Or three, let me say that. You got Rev Run, DMC, Rest in Peace, Jam Master J. They will appear on this list a couple more times. Got to be a couple more times. Especially another time in this list right now. On this 10 songs I got for you right now. But if anybody's ever seen the movie Crush Groove, you know how it opens up, and it opens up with this. And this makes the list because at the end of the day, if this is one of the hardest songs ever. And they're rapping over a rock beat. A rock beat. So, next on my list is King of Rock by Run DMC. I'm the king of rock. There is none higher. Sucker MCs should call me sire. To burn my kingdom, you must use fire. I won't stop rocking till I retire. Now we rock dog parties and come correct. All cuts are on time and rhymes connect. Got the right to vote and we'll elect. And other rappers can't stand us, but give us respect. Now, if you can't get with that, like, come on now, you, you got to get with that. That That's hard. Like, that song is really hard. Like, it's hard. Like, that beat is phenomenal. It's produced by Larry, Sid, uh, Larry Smith, Russell Simmons, who, godfather of hip-hop, one of the godfathers of hip-hop, and Ronnie Hugh. Roddy Hugh, who I don't know. But there you go. Got to be on the list. The King of Rock by Run DMC. So the next song on this list goes all the way back and is one of the first songs that I ever heard hip-hop wise and it made an impression on me and it made me go go back and it, it made me go it, it put me in a space to understand why hip-hop is what it is and what I need people to understand is 
this particular song, it's like what hip hop should continue to be. Like it don't get me wrong. It should be creative, which this song is. It should be uh fun and entertaining, which this song is, but it should also give a message. Not all songs have to do that, but when there's a song that can make an impact and present a message like this song does, uh you 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 got to it has to make people's list it has to be a part of it it just has everything that you want to go to produced by edward g fletcher as sylvia robinson sylvia robinson who will appear in this list one more time here is grandmaster flash and the furious five with the message message just that first verse alone should let you know why this song made my list and why i think it should be on everyone's list again it it is it, 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 it may be just me this is my list but i think this song is one of the most influential songs in hip-hop history and so grandmaster flash furious five the message, what else can you can you say about this song? So that's 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 where we're at with this song. The next song on the list. Now, people, I want people to understand. Hip hop is not just about guns and violence, not just about a message, but hip hop can show when they need when we need to show our emotion. Now, I want men to understand we are okay. It is okay for us to show our emotions, especially when it comes to a lady that we care about a lot. So, that's why the next song on my list belongs to this man. 
LL Cool J, who has another song that will pop up later in, in another part of my list. And it is this is one of the very first real love songs in hip-hop. And this was a hit, a big hit. It was produced by the L.A. Posse and LL Cool J. Here is LL Cool J's. Ooh, hold up. What the heck? Oh, okay. Is LL Cool J's I Need Love. When I'm alone in my room, sometimes I stare at the wall and in the back of my mind, I hear my conscience call telling me I need a girl who's as sweet as a dove. For the first time in my life, I see I need love. There I was, giggling about the games that I had played with many hearts and I'm not saying no names. Then the thought occurred, tear drops made my eyes burn because I said to myself, look what you've done to her. I can feel it inside. I can't explain how it feels. All I know is that I'm never dishing of the raw deal, playing make-believe, pretending that I'm true. Holding in my laugh as I say that I love you Saying I'm more, kissing you on the ear Whispering I love you and I'll always be here Although I often reminisce, I can't believe that I found A desire for true love floating around Inside my soul, because my soul is cold One half of me deserves to be this way till I'm old But the other half needs affection and joy And the warmth that is created by a girl and a boy I need love So, there you go. Again, produced by L.A. Posse and L.L. Cool J, one of the first love songs in hip-hop. And this uh, uh, this actually showed me, hey, it, you can make a hip-hop song and show that you love someone and have the love and affection for them and still be, you know, gangster. Because um, uh, the first time Jay-Z retired, He's in the Madison Square Garden, and he says, can I get my LL on? And as you heard in the beginning, iconic lines. When I'm alone in my room, sometimes I stare at the wall. In the back of my mind, I hear my conscience call, telling me I need a girl who's as sweet as a dove. Now, Hove flips it and says, but fuck it, my name is Hove, and you know I'm a thug. And that those those are iconic. That That is an iconic line. That LL Cool J spit, a hey, Jay Z changed it, but I believe that hip hop can always show emotions, men especially, since it's a mostly a male dominated sport. I believe that men should be able to show their emotions and get there. So now, moving on to the next song on my list. And this song makes the list because it's one of the most creative songs, and you will never, ever hear a song like this, ever. If anybody tries to do it, well, there is another song that does it kind of like this, but it's more of a Jamaican vibe. But anybody who tries to do it like this in hip-hop, you're just copycatting off this song. So the next song on my list happens to be Lottie Dottie by, of course, Dougie Fresh, Slick Rick. Again, creative as hell. 
creative as hell. There's no way you can't, it, it, you, there's just no way. This is creativity at its finest. And it's produced by Dennis Bell and Ollie Cotton. And people, when I play this, you should be right up on it. The rhyme scheme is right. The production is right. Everything is right about this song. So, I present to you Lottie Dottie by the Get Fresh Crew or Dougie Fresh and Slick Rick the Ruler. Hit it! Oh, yeah. You know what? Yo, beat this. We like the party. We don't cause trouble. We don't bother nobody. We're just some men that's on the mic. And when we rock upon the mic, we rock the mic. For all of y'all, keeping y'all in health. Just to see you smile and enjoy yourself. Because it's cool when you cause a cozy condition and that we create. So that's our mission. So listen to what we say. Because this type of shit happens every day. I walk up around 10 o'clock in the morning. Gave myself a... I'm on it, you're on it. Went to the bathroom to wash up. Had some soap on my face and my hair. Upon a cup, I said, a Mera, Mera, on the wall. Who is the top choice of them all? There was a rumble dumble. Five minutes it lasted. The Mera said, You are, you conceited bastard. Now, look at that. There's no real beat to it, but it's Dougie Fresh beatboxing. The human beatbox Dougie Fresh is. And it's Slick Rick just telling a story. One of the, if not the greatest, one of the greatest storytellers in hip-hop. One of the greatest storytellers in hip-hop. So this song makes my list classic. Unfortunately, I don't have the, the, the versions that aren't live like the show. Which comes off a DJ uh, mixtape, and Lottie Dottie came off of Slick Rick's album, him doing it live with Dougie Fresh. But you get the idea. So, next on this list, okay, so I'm going to go here. Slick Rick is one of my favorite artists because he's one of the best storytellers in hip hop. So he had one, two, three, four, maybe five or six songs besides the two, the Lottie Dottie and um, the show with Dougie Fresh that I could have put here. One such song will make the list again, and another song might make the list again. I, I, I'm battling on it, but this man is an excellent storyteller. So, the next song on my list is Mona Lisa by Slick Rick. 
Now I know people are like, oh, I like Children's Story better, or Hey Young World, or whatever, whatever. This is my list. And Mona Lisa just happens to be my, my joint. It's for me. And the beat is particularly strong on this one. And the story is particularly strong on this one. So as I play it, you guys will understand where I'm going with this. So, here's the next song on my list, Mona Lisa by Slick Rick. Ladies and gentlemen and lowlifes, it is with outstanding pleasure that we are here to present tonight Slick Rick the Ruler and MC Ricky D doing their smash hit Mona Lisa. You know, like the picture. Anyway, I'd like to take this time out to bow before his divine majesty. Can I kiss your hand? Mm-hmm. Enough. I'm your highness. They await you. Well, it was one of those days. Not much to do. I was chilling downtown with my old school crew. I went into a store to buy a slice of pizza. I bumped into a girl. Her name was Mona. What? Mona Lisa. What? Mona Lisa. So many. You know what I'm saying? So I said, Excuse me, dear. My gosh, you look nice. Put away your money. I'll buy that slice. She said, Thanks. I'd rather a slice of you. I'm just kidding, but that's awfully nice of you. The compliment showed she had a mind in her. And when I smiled, I almost blinded her. She said, Great Scott, are you a thief? Seems like you have a mouthful of gold teeth. Ha ha ha, I had to find that funny, so I said, No child, I work hard for the money. And calling me a thief, please, don't even try it. Right? Sit, I need a slice of pizza and be quiet. She almost got cut short. You know, scissors. She tried to disrespect who? The Grand Wizard. Me? What's your name, sir? MC Ricky D, but not to be so harsh, I said to Mona Lee. Hey. Oh, I'm sorry, and I know that's low class. Uh, Please yeah. sit, tell me a little about your past. She said, Well, I got courage, and I don't like courage. Uh-huh. I've never been to college, but I've got crazy knowledge. Uh-huh. Over 18, and my eyes are green. Uh-huh. I wear more gold than that man on uh-huh. 18. Uh-huh. Trim, slim, and yeah. I'm also light skin. Best believe Mona's a virgin. A virgin? Honey, needed a slap. She tried to tell me she's a virgin. With a yay white gap. I said, it don't matter, see, I'm not picky. What? Let me spell my name out for you, it's uh-huh. Ricky. Yeah. Oh, ravishing, oh, Courageous or careless. Yeah. All the gangos which I've got that I wear every day. And why? Why not? To fight's not right that I- Really? Really? If you can't get with that, at, at, at the heat that that is, that is heat. Heat. Heat of a different, of just heat of a different type. Old school heat. Now, I know somebody's probably going to say, well, where's children's story? It may pop up on the list sometime. Just, just saying. But that song, so much heat. So much heat. So much heat. That makes you want to get up and dance. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. That beat is so fire. That beat definitely is so fucking fire. All right, moving on to the next song on my list. Now, 
I told you, Run DMC, Hard Rock, it went, it just went together. So this next song on my list had to be included. This actually showed the world that hip hop and hard rock music go together like peanut butter and jelly on some sliced white bread. And if you don't know what song it is, here you go. This song is one of the the most create this is one of the greatest songs I've ever heard cuz I love this song because I love Run DMC but I also love Aerosmith. As a matter of fact, this song made me go listen to Aerosmith. Really made me go listen to Aerosmith and listen. Now I know a lot of people are like, "Oh, well, Aerosmith don't want to miss a thing and all that." Yes. This song made me listen to them and open my mind to what music really could be really be. So, without further ado, here is Walk This Way by Run DMC and Aerosmith. You can't get with that. Like, are you serious? That song is so much heat and fire. So much heat and fire. Like, I, yo, that, yo, I think, I don't think today it would rock the way it rocked back then. It's produced by Russell Simmons and Rick Rubin, but it has to rock. That song has to rock. I think that song is creative. I think putting two world, two genres of music and, and the world together, that you you couldn't you couldn't ask for anything better. The creativity is great. Couldn't ask for anything more. All right. So the second to last song on my list, and it's the second to last song, not the last one. Is one of these songs in hip hop history 
that everybody knows. Everybody knows this song. It made the list because it was 1989. It's produced by Marcel Hall. And it's, it is relevant today. It is definitely relevant today. Without question, this is relevant today. This song is so relevant today. It is such a fun song. It is a story song, but it's wonderful. So, without further ado, I present to you Just a Friend by Biz Marquis. By the way, rest in peace, Biz. Have you ever met a girl that you tried to date? But a year to make love, she wanted you to wait. Let me tell you a story in my situation. I was talking to this girl from the U.S. nation. The way that I met her was on tour at a concert. She had long hair and a short miniskirt. I just got on stage dripping, pouring with sweat. I was walking through the crowd, and guess who I met? I whispered in her ear, come to the picture booth so I can ask you some questions to see if you're 100 proof. I asked her her name, she said, Blah, blah, blah. She had nine, ten pants and a very big bar. I took a couple of flicks and she was enthused. I said, how do you like the show? She said I was very amused. I started throwing bass. She started throwing back mid-range. But when I sprung the question, she acted kind of strange. Because when I asked, do you have a man? She tried to pretend. She said, no, I don't. I only have a friend. Come on. I'm not even going for it. I even got to sing this part, y'all. You. You got what I need, but you say he just a friend, but you say he just a friend. Oh, baby, you got what I need, but you say he just a friend, but you say he just a friend. Oh, baby, you got what I need, but you say he just a friend. Yo, <laughs> yo, I yo, that song is so great. Even I had to I had to sing the hook. And that hook, everybody knows it. Like if you was to play that now, go outside. Even today's kids whose music is totally different than the eras I grew up through, same thing they know that. Even I think my I even my grandmother, rest in, please God rest her soul, do the hook to that song. You know it's a hit with people before you know what the hook, could sing the hook along with you. So, yes, wonderful song, wonderful song, wonderful song. There's not much more I can say about that. Like, there's, there's nothing more. All right, so we're at the last song, and I'm going to get out of here. But I want to thank those who, again, who watch, who are going to watch, who are going to listen later on. Uh, I, I thank you very much for keeping me going. We're gonna we're not gonna stop, like like Diddy always say. I thought I told you that we won't stop. So what you're saying is not gonna stop. We're gonna continue on. We're gonna break it. We're gonna we we gonna get it. We're gonna get it. We three years in, and there's still some things can be improved, but we gonna get it. We definitely gonna get it. But as always, I gotta tell you where to reach me and to find me. At all times. So, as always, 
you can email me at sowitthesand5 at gmail.com. That's S-O-W-T-U-S-A-Y-I-N-5 at gmail.com. You can also find us at So What You're Saying on Facebook. You can find us at So What You're Saying on Instagram. You can find us at So What You're Saying on Twitch. Please, get your people to follow us on Twitch. Let's get them follows up. Let's, let's bring it to the world. But if all else fails and you can't remember the name or find me on any platform, always you can go to my link tree. So what you're saying, you can find me everywhere on link tree. All right. So now that we've come to the end, now that we've come to, you know, the end of this story, This could not. Sorry, folks. Sorry, folks. Couldn't do that. So now that we've come to the end and we've gotten to the end of this list, this beginning of the list, now you can see why it's called In the Beginning. It's mostly songs before 19. 90, the golden era of hip-hop, where these are songs that could connect you, you know, brought you in, made you feel like this is something that you would want to be involved with, something that was going to be around for a while, and it wasn't just a fad. So what list would this be if I didn't take you back to the very, very beginning, the very first hit? hip-hop song in hip-hop history. Of course, anybody who knows, knows that the very first hip-hop song in hip-hop history is Rapper's Delight, Sugar Hill Gang. The 15-minute long song. This song broke ground, and there's nothing else you could say about that. It's produced by Sylvia Robinson, so before I get into the song, I want to say thank you, everybody, for joining me. Anybody who's listening, anybody who's going to listen or going to watch later on, I want to thank you. Please follow my follow my, my link tree, everything. And we're going to see you next week on the show. As always, it'll be a late show next week because of my work schedule, but it will be next week, Friday. I will give you an exact time, and I want to thank you all for the next part of this list next week. I want to thank you all for for being here with me, and I want you to look forward to the next part of this list. Next uh, black history person I, I, uh, I give you history on, and next week's black movie that we're going that you guys are going to vote on. So, again, have a good night and I will see you all next week. So, again, here is where it all started, the first hit hip hop song, Rapper's Delight by The Sugar Hill Gang. Thank you.
to the hip hop, the hip it, the hip it, the hip hip hop. You don't stop the rocket to the bang bang boogie. Say up, jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie to beat. Now what you hear is not a test. I'm rapping to the beat, and me, the groove, and my friends are gonna try to move your feet. You see, I am Wonder Mike, and I like to say hello. Up to the black, to the white, the red, and the brown, the purple and yellow. But first, I gotta bang bang the boogie to the boogie. Say up, jump the boogie to the bang bang boogie. Let's rock. You don't stop, rock the rhythm, and I'll make your body rock. Well, so far you've heard my voice, but I brought two friends along. And next on the mic is my man Hank. Come on, Hank, sing that song. Check it out. I'm the C A S N, the O V A, and the rest is F L Y. You see, I go by the code of the doctor of the mix, and these reasons I'll tell you why. You see, I'm six foot one, and I'm tons of fun, and I dress to a D. You see, I got more clothes than Muhammad Ali, and I dress so viciously. I got bodyguards, I got two big guards that definitely ain't the whack. I got a Lincoln Continental and a son who's Cadillac. So after school, I take a dip in the pool, which is really on the wall. I got a color TV so I can see the Knicks play basketball. Him and juggle my checkbook, credit cards, more money than a sucker could ever spend. But I wouldn't give a sucker or a punk from the rock and not a dime till I made it again. Everybody go, oh, tell, oh, tell, what you gonna do today? Cause I'm gonna get a fly girl, gonna get some spring to drive off in a death OJ. Everybody go, oh, tell, oh, tell, holiday in. You say if your girl starts acting up, then you take her friend. I'm Master G, I'm a mellow. So what you gonna do? Well, it's on and on and on and on and on. The beat don't stop until the break of dawn. I said a M-A-S, a T-E-R, a G with a double E. I said I go by the unforgettable name of the man they call a Master G. Well, my name is known all over the world by all the foxy ladies and the pretty girls. I'm going down in history as the baddest rapper there ever could be. Now I'm feeling the highs and you're feeling the lows. The beat starts getting into your toe. You start popping your fingers and stopping your feet and moving your body while you're sitting in your seat. And then damn, they start doing the freak. I said bam, a rider out of your seat. Then you throw your hands high in the air. You're rocking to the rhythm, shake your dairy. Air. You're rocking to the beat without a care. Cause the show a shot MCs for the affair. Now I'm not.